read just a few verses and uh, this is a fulfillment of a messianic prophecy which we'll look at found in Isaiah 56 Matthew 21 and we'll begin reading in verse 12 Matthew 21 and verse 12 and Jesus went into the temple of God and cast out all them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves, and said unto them, It is written, My house shall be called the house of prayer, but ye have made it a den of thieves. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. So this is a very significant event. Uh, the Bible says, The zeal of thine house hath eaten me up, Christ had righteous indignation. He became very angry on purpose. It was He uh, did this deliberately and uh, drove out those who were taking advantage of the situation to increase their own uh, coffers. But look what he said in verse 13. He said unto them, It is written, My house shall be called the house of prayer, but ye have made it a den of thieves. All right, let's pray. Father, I pray that you'd help us to have the right spirit uh, when we cross the threshold, even when we drive into the parking lot of thy house, as we get out and walk up the sidewalk, remind us, convict us to have the right mindset that thy house is a house of prayer. We pray that you give us uh, a good spirit, a good understanding, wisdom. Help us to repent of the cares of this life, to put aside just for a short time, to think on things eternal, to see him who is invisible, to fight the good fight of faith, to lay hold on eternal life, Soon we'll be able to say like Paul, my departure is at hand. We pray that we'd spend these uh, fleeting moments redeeming the time for the days are evil. Help us to seek thee early while you may be found and to have the right spirit and balance of confidence and humility, listening and speaking, uh, praying and obeying. Help us. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would now, if you turn to Isaiah 56, I want you to see the Messianic prophecy that this is based upon. And we're going to begin reading in verse 1. And so as we read these, just think it over. Uh, I want to be uh, cover this. Uh, I'm not going to get in a hurry. I think this is very, very significant. Most church members do not have the right attitude about church, sad to say, and most people who attend church do not have the right spirit, and it should be the spirit of prayer. So I want you to think about this. Look at Isaiah 56, verse 1, Thus saith the Lord, Keep ye judgment, and do justice, 
for my salvation is near to come and my righteousness to be revealed. Blessed is the man that doeth this and the son of man that layeth hold on it that he keepeth the Sabbath from polluting it and keepeth his hand from doing any evil. Neither let the son of the stranger that hath joined himself to the Lord speak, saying, The Lord hath utterly separated me from his people. Neither let the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. For thus saith the Lord unto the eunuchs that keep my Sabbaths, and choose the things that please me, and take hold of my covenant. Even unto them will I give in mine house, now look at this, and within my walls a place and a name better than of the sons of the daughters, and I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Also the sons of the stranger that join themselves to the Lord to serve him and to love the name of the Lord. Notice that, the name of the Lord, you love it, to be his servants. Everyone that keepeth the Sabbath from polluting it and taketh hold of my covenant, even them will I bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices shall be accepted upon mine altar, for mine house shall be called an house of prayer for all people. Prayer is so simple, but yet it is so profound. Brother Hiles always used to say that simplicity is wrapped up in profundity and vice versa. John R. Rice, when he was asked to define prayer, he defined it as asking and receiving. That is true to some degree, but it's so deep because it has underlying principles, layers, if you will, precepts that must be followed. Also, there are conditions that must be met. So all the promises in him are yea. God always keeps his word, but there are conditions that must be met. So there are no unconditional promises that we can claim. Everything is a contract. So remember uh, when God was angry with Israel, he said there was a breach of covenant. There was a breach of the contract because God gave a conditional promise. His people failed to meet the prerequisite. So God was legally um, allowed to get out of the contract. So the promises of God are an eternal contract, but we have to meet the condition. So also we claim the promises of God and then the intention must be pure. Our motive, our purpose must be right as we ask and we receive. So these precepts, the foundational doctrines, we say it all the time. We're going to build a foundation, line upon line, precept upon precept. We're going to build upon that. We are going to add to, we're not going to replace. And prayer has many precepts. There's things we must understand. Once we meet the qualifications or the conditions, then it's pretty simple. Asking and receiving according to the will of God.
So I preface uh, the study by saying this. Prayer is based upon a relationship with God. That's what it's based upon. If your relationship is right, you're going to get your prayers answered. If your relationship is not right, if it's severed, uh, the Bible says your sins have separated you from your God so that he will not hear. If the relationship is right, then you can ask what you will, he said. And you'll know if you should even ask it. And, and I'm not saying I fully arrived at this, but many times I'll be praying and something will come into my head, say you ought to ask for that. And I'll say, don't you, don't you ask for that. <laughs> I know I shouldn't ask for that. Uh, because many reasons, but the Bible says my expectation is from him. That's what David the psalmist said. So if you have a right relationship, you trust in him, then he, it doesn't mean he gives you what to, uh, you expect something and he fills the expectation. It goes deeper than that. He puts the expectation in your heart, what to expect, and then he fulfills the expectation. So he knows us. He, you know, I think about it all the time. He knows what you like. He knows your favorite colors. He knows your favorite tastes. He knows your architectural style you like. He knows what type of furniture you like. Some of you don't like any furniture. He knows you like that, by the way. Uh, don't expect much, because if you expect nothing, you'll get nothing. Uh, God knows what type of clothes you like. God knows uh, what type of pets you like. He knows everything about you. And you don't need to describe it in detail. He knows, and he'll put the expectation within you. You'll know what to expect. When God shows up at the right time in his will, according to the right, right relationship, he will fulfill the expectation. So many times you'll just know this was from God. He put it in my heart. He, he answered what he put in my heart. My expectation is from him. Now, if the relationship is wrong, if you're not in agreement, how shall two walk together except they be agreed? Enoch walked with God. They were walking along, fellowshipping, talking, conversing. And he was not, for God took him. Why? They were in harmony. They agreed in the fellowship. So true fellowship is the communion of the Holy Ghost, the common denominator. And if you're right with God, yielded to His Spirit, and the Spirit's moving, you agree with God. And you're just walking along. If it's the will of God, God brings it. Whatever you ask for, you always include in the prayer, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. God uh, works according to His will. You're patient. There's timing involved. All sorts of things happen. There's divine appointments, and we let God be God. We say that all the time. Now, if you look at the text here and the context, Israel turned on God. They were being invaded by 
a northern army. They were tested and tried uh, while Isaiah was prophesying. And they had gotten into a relationship problem with God. They were not right in their heart. So look what it says in verse 1. Thus saith the Lord, Keep ye judgment and do justice. For my salvation has come near, and my righteousness to be revealed. What are the conditions that must be met in this relationship? Number one, you have to be a person of judgment. You have to know right from wrong. You have to discern good from evil. You have to put a difference between the clean and the unclean. You have to be a person of judgment. And if you're not a person of judgment, you're not going to get your prayers answered. You can beg and ask God. You can pray. Um, you can do all sorts of things. But if you don't have righteous judgment in your life, God's not going to show up in the house of prayer and hear when you call and give when you ask or make a request. Uh, I haven't told this story in a long time, but uh, there was uh, two people I know in my life that tried to fast 40 days and 40 nights like Moses and uh, Christ, and both of them failed miserably. So one guy, this was at Bible college, he, he thought his wife was worldly, and she was. But he began to look down on her with condescension. So he said, you're so worldly, I'm going to build a cardboard box around you in our home, and I'm going to live in the cardboard box, and you're so worldly, I'm separating from you. And that's the true story. And uh, he, he said... Uh, he didn't, well, he didn't try to reconcile. He didn't try to teach her. He didn't try to lead her. He just cut it and he separated. And one thing led to another. It went very, very bad for him. I'll not give you all the details. I know a woman that tried it. And she was a schizophrenic. She heard voices. She was a psycho, probably a lunatic. If you know anybody that's acting or pretty weird right now. I think we're right at the full moon. Is, this, is tonight the full moon? I don't know. It's, we're right around there. Um, people controlled by the gravitational pull of the moon, they lose their right mind. They're beside themselves. The Bible calls them mad. But she decided she was going to fast. Well, she ended up getting liver burnout, liver disease, went crazy, uh, lost, lost her health. She ended up becoming anorexic. All sorts of strange things happened. Ended up, she lost her children. She got a divorce. Went crazy. Didn't work out for her. So, just because you pray doesn't mean you're right with God. And just because you fast and pray doesn't mean you're right with God. And just because you ask God for things does not mean God is obligated to give you whatever you ask for. You have to have a right relationship. It's all based on that. What starts that off is judgment. 
Is this right or is that wrong? Now, we live in a day of liberalism, of political correctness, where the world would try to tell you and accuse you that you're a bigot and uh, you're narrow-minded and you're a Neanderthal has-been if you pass judgment. But if you want to get your prayers answered, you judge. You know, it's very simple. That's a cat. That's a dog. Boy, that's deep. That's a horse. That's a cow. That's wrong. That's right. That's dry. That's wet. That's hot. That's cold. This is clean. This is unclean. And you can see all the wickedness going on through the media and all this stuff. The prince of the power of the air is projecting to try to control the minds of people. You can see it. And all you have to do is say, I see what's happening. You're not going to pull this one over on me. I can see it. So you judge right from wrong. You have to be a person of judgment. Don't be the judge. Don't sit and, and hold others in condescension. Don't lift yourself up with pride, but you have to know right from wrong and do it humbly. So Jesus said, judge righteous judgment, not according to the seeing of the eye or the hearing of the ear. The Word of God judges all you have to do. How does this measure up with the Word of God? The Bible says in uh, 1 John, I think it's 4, try the spirits, judge them. Are they right? Are they wrong? Are they from God or from the Antichrist? So, remember, this context of Isaiah 56 is the house of prayer. And you've got to be a person of judgment to get your prayers answered. Second, justice. Justice. You have to be fair, equitable, just. You can't call the wicked righteous. You can't call the righteous wicked. You can't let people off because they have more money. The truth is the truth is the truth. And if you're a person of judgment and justice, you'll have mercy. How do you purge iniquity? By mercy and truth, iniquity is purged. You admit the truth. You don't overlook it. You don't sweep it under the rug. You don't compromise. You don't give them a pass because they're your family member. You don't give them a pass because of how it may affect you. You have no personal agenda. Remember, Lady Justice is supposed to be what? Blind. She's holding the scales, has on the, whatever it is it is. Now, we live in a society, there's unrighteous judgment and very little justice. Now, if you want to get your prayers answered, you have to judge, you have to be just. Uh, next, you have to honor the Sabbath. Honor the Sabbath. This says, even if a stranger comes in who's even a eunuch, or a foreigner. They get proselytized to Judaism. They are just as accepted in the house of prayer as someone who's of the stock of Abraham, of Judah, or a Hebrew. But you have to honor the Sabbath. So what is the Sabbath? It's the principle of the tithe. Basically, 
Whatever belongs to God belongs to God. I don't touch what belongs to God. I don't steal what belongs to God. I'm not a God robber, according to Malachi 3. I honor the Lord with the Sabbath. Now, this was brought up earlier that several people in our county are getting, uh, women are getting breast cancer. And someone asked to wonder why. We don't know. Could be something in the water. That's what they all, that's what they said up there at the Red River. But um, what does that mean? Do you know how many years they have violated the Sabbath? Did you know every seven years they're not supposed to farm the land? They're supposed to let it rest? Do you know how depleted the soil becomes of the nutrients by plowing it year in, year out, year in, year out, and never honoring the Sabbath? And then we wonder why everybody's unhealthy. Processed foods, what's that stuff called? Monosodium glutamate, all this stuff. And then we wonder, why is everybody sick? Well, it could be there's a lot of people that violate the Sabbath. Also, uh, they steal the tithe. They don't give the tenth to God. And 70 times 7 Sabbaths, 490, plus one, the year of Jubilee, uh, all debts were to be forgiven and all slaves were to be set free. Uh, tell that to the lending institutions. Uh, do you think they're going to relieve, do you think Bank of America and Chase Bank are going to relieve all the debts when the Sabbath rolls around? There's absolutely no way. This is what they got people by the throat they're hoping you only pay the minimum payment. You, nothing goes toward the principle. You'll be in debt for a longer time. They're going to make all the money. And, and that's why the Bible says that Jews couldn't charge usury to other Jews. They couldn't get rich by taking collateral. It says even if they took their coat for collateral and wintertime came, they have to give their coat back so they don't get cold and they couldn't hold people to these uh, high interest rates. They want you in debt. They want you to only pay the minimum. Uh, did you know, and we have realtors here, bankers, uh, but I was taught this a long time ago. I'm not sure I have the details. If you have a 30-year mortgage, and you make one payment per year on your principal, you'll pay the house off in 17 years. Almost cutting it in half by just making one extra payment, not extending it through the 30 years. They don't want you to know that. Um, they violate the Sabbath. Uh, next, do no evil. Now, Evil in this context means to hurt other men. It would never come into your heart to be violent. You would never lift a hand. You would never try to deceive someone, steal from someone, hurt someone, ruin their reputation, talk about somebody behind their back, belittle someone, lift yourself up by putting them down, if you want to get your prayers answered, you, you cannot do evil. You must do good, the Bible said. Trust in the Lord, and so shalt thou inherit the land. 
many people on this social media platform trash do nothing but lift themselves up and try to put other people down. Evil, what does the Bible say? If you want to get your prayer answered, if you want to go in the walls of the house of God, you have to be a person of judgment, justice, honor the Sabbath, and do no evil to men. Now, if this happens, we mention this. Even the strangers and the eunuchs, which are Gentiles, so a Gentile is any race of people that's not a Hebrew, if they were proselytized to Judaism, they were just as welcome, had just as much invitation, and had just as much power through prayer at the house of prayer. Now, look what it says in verse 7. This is the Messianic prophecy. Even them will I bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices shall be accepted upon mine altar. For mine house shall be called an house of prayer for all people. So, and then it says he'll gather all the outcasts and gather them to the house of prayer. Now, I've seen this through the years. People get in trouble. They're hurting. They're suffering. They're looking for help. And they'll get it in their mind that if they can come to church and make some kind of sacrificial offering or gift, whatever it is, that God's going to turn the tide and all their problems are going to go away. And that's simply not true. Because you could come and give all your money away but if you don't have judgment and you're not a person of justice and you violate the Sabbath and you do evil to other men, God's not going to hear your prayer. So what is this based upon? An integrity of the person. And because of that, they have a fellowship with God. So they walk together. They talk together. They agree. And then... They have the communion of the common denominator of the Holy Ghost. And God is what? It says, well pleased. Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. But sometimes God gets angry when people pray. You know, it says uh, in Jeremiah, if Samuel and Elijah prayed for them, God wouldn't hear. Why? Because they turned the back to God. So, when we understand the walls, we're just getting starting tonight. This is actually an introduction. But the walls of the house of what? Now, we're all guilty of this to some degree. You know, we're all under, should be under conviction. When you think of church, do you think of it as a house of prayer? Most of us don't. If we are honest, yeah, we know we pray. Start the service with prayer. We pray before we take up the offering. We have a prayer meeting on Wednesday night. But do we really think that when you go through the door across the threshold and you're in the walls, do we really think of it as a house of prayer? Now, some of us need to change our thinking. If we thought this way, that... Not because of 
a selfish motive to get our prayers answered. But if we get right with God, this would motivate you to have good judgment, to have good justice, to honor the Sabbath, to do no evil to other men, to walk with the Lord and talk with the Lord, and then you would be the right type of person that has a good relationship with God, so when you ask for something, He'll give it to you. When you, when you come through the door into the walls of the house of prayer. Now, I'm through, we're out of time, but think about this. There are certain people in your life, if you're honest, in your family, who know how to get to you. And if they ask you for something, they have a pretty good chance of getting it. There are other people in your family that they could ask you, and there's a pretty good chance they're not going to get it. And what is that based upon? Favoritism. If you're honest. There's nothing wrong with having favorites, by the way. This whole deal with everybody's equal is a lie. There is no such thing as equal rights. There's, because tonight, if you want spaghetti, and your child wants chicken nuggets, and your husband wants tacos, somebody's got to get their way, or you're going to let everybody, it's going to cost a lot of money, you're going to have a lot of dishes to wash. Somebody's going to get their way. There's no such thing as equal rights. And if you read 1 Corinthians 6, you have to do certain things to have a father-son relationship with Christ for him to hear your prayer. Now, there's certain people in, this, in your life, uh, I'll guarantee you, there's certain people where you were, if they came up and asked you for a special favor, and they have a special place in your heart, you know them, you might try to do it. you say, yeah. And there's some other people that you're going, oh, here they come again. And you're trying to avoid the whole situation because you know it's that big word, awkward. I don't even want to deal with this. So if we treat people that way, and we're creating the image of God, how much more is God that... There are certain people who ask God, and He hears them. Now, we're going to look at this in detail, but you know what the word prayer means? Harangue. Look it up. Harangue, which means make a lot of noise to draw God's attention. That person gets God's attention. That person does not. That person has a tug on God's heart. That person has nothing to do with God's heart. And it's all based on, is the house of prayer, when you're in the walls, do you, are you a person of judgment, justice, do you honor the Sabbath? How do you treat your fellow man? And do you walk with God? So this is uh, should motivate us. This should behoove us to get right with God in our heart because I'm being nice tonight you're going to need God one day you're going to need him like you never have before you're going to have an emergency it's going to be urgent you're going to get a bad phone call there's going to be something bad happen 
and you're going to need God. And you better get ready now because like the old preacher said, when you get in the head on, it's too late to buckle your seatbelt and turn on the airbags. You do that when you get in the driver's seat. So, what is this house called? House of Prayer. What made Jesus so mad that he turned over the tables violently and beat them and run them all out? What was it? They didn't see it as a house of prayer. They saw it as a house of income. They were trying to capitalize financially on the house of God. So, uh, in conclusion, let's humble ourselves, ask God, help me to remember this is a house of prayer. Help me to remember. Yes, I can talk and small talk and chit chat, but it's a house of prayer. Right, let's stand. We're going to move into the uh, name of God and the significant. Remember, this says it's the house called by my name. It's his name, called by his name. That is very, very significant.